Uh, so as we've said, this evening's um, subject from Proverbs is with regards to, to man's speech. Um, I don't know about you guys, but uh, when I attend weddings, uh, perhaps save the, the actual marrying of the bride and the groom, uh, and depending on the nature of the service, perhaps the, the sermon that accompanies the, the service on whole. Uh, my favorite part about weddings uh, is without doubt the, the speeches. Uh, I realize that sets me aside from the norm. Uh, most folks tend to enjoy the dancing, which I find horrendous. Um, but I, I love listening to the speeches. And so uh, speaking this evening, or preaching rather, um, with regards to man's speech, uh, though I'll constrain myself to just a couple of topics, uh, is actually comes with some excitement, I suppose. Uh, Proverbs 18.21, and we'll look at a, a couple of passages later together, but Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. A fairly, uh, what shall we say, uh, pulpit-slamming verse to start off with. Uh, how do you use your speech? Do you use it wisely or carelessly? For profit or for loss, or we might say without thought? Is your speech used for building up or tearing down? In a... Uh, in application, in a, in a tune-out, entertainment-driven culture, uh, perhaps our greatest battle is not so much the use of speech in deliberate malice or for calculated evil, but rather in an apathetic, in a careless, in a, a hyper-jovial kind of manner. Turn with me uh, to the Proverbs of the New Testament, uh, James chapter 3. And likely you know where I'm going, being uh, just from the first verse. Consider this a complimentary reading. So James chapter 3, uh, verses 1 to 12 says this. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Let's pray. 
Lord, bless our consideration of, of the tongue, of speech, of words. Uh, and it, it really, even as we've contemplated in those verses from James, uh, the, the tongue, the way we use speech, uh, is, uh, it is a small member of the body, and yet it has such a, a potential great effect. Uh, so Lord, please help me to use my tongue wisely as I preach this evening. And may we leave this place uh, wiser, more self-controlled, uh, more ready to use our tongues well uh, to the glory of your name. I ask it in your name. Amen. Uh, so many things uh, we could say about speech from the book of Proverbs. And uh, if you've looked through the, uh, the verses that I sent out earlier in the week, um, perhaps some of these thoughts which I made during my preparations uh, have come out in your thinking also. This is just a, a scatterbrained summary. Uh, to illustrate just how many things I could address. Uh, wisdom is found. It is storehoused by those with understanding. The righteous speak wisdom. The unrighteous tear down with their tongue. Those without sense slander. The understanding do not. They preserve others' reputations. Wise and truthful lips bring healing and endure forever. Those acting and speaking faithfully are God's delight. Too wide a mouth is a source of ruin. Wise lips preserve the wise. Good news refreshes the bones. Gracious words are a balm to the soul. God is in control of the tongue. Proliferation of words, many words, is not wise. Rather, be cool-headed. As I say, this is just a uh, a scatterbrain of many thoughts that I took as I took notes uh, when going through the many verses. Uh, I'll constrain myself to, to two of those potential topics, uh, being to use speech sparingly and to use speech thoughtfully. Uh, Paul says in complimentary fashion to the Colossians, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So turn with me to, to Proverbs 13, verse 3. Proverbs 13, verse 3 uh, says this, Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. And then just a, a page or two over on in chapter 17, uh, you will find the 27th and 28th verse, Proverbs 17 Verse 27, whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Use speech sparingly is what I put the head as. Uh, we all know the difference, I think, uh, somewhat intuitively between many good words being spoken, uh, I pray even as will occur tonight, uh, and a person who speaks excessively and to their own detriment and the detriment of those who would hear them. There is an obvious difference, just to put some meat on that, between the, the blabbermouth who is unduly uncomfortable with silence, who talks and talks, filling the void with meaningless and often gossipy chatter, and the many words that would have likely been spoken at, for example, the Westminster Assembly, when the Westminster Catechism, etc., was put together. Uh, many words in both of those circumstances, and yet, uh, in one case, words spoken with great multitude 
uh, for folly, and in the other, many words spoken for wisdom and enduring wisdom even. Uh, on, the, on the opposite side of the equation is Ron Swanson of the sitcom Parks and Recreation who says, I once worked with a guy for three years and never learned his name. Best friend I ever had. We still never talk sometimes. But I don't think the Proverbs are exhorting us to be a Ron Swanson. Though, uh, chapter 17, 28 says, Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. So it may be that in an everyday style setting, if we are to be on the extreme of talking lots or talking uh, little to not at all, uh, perhaps the latter is to be preferred, uh, though as I say, neither uh, are the best choice. I've told the anecdote to a couple of people, but when I interviewed, uh, it does matter who I interviewed with because it illustrates the story. Uh, when I interviewed with the, the ACT property group prior to getting my, my current job, uh, it was right after the, uh, the massive hailstones that occurred in Canberra, uh, what, two or three years or so ago, where you still see people driving around in golf ball shaped cars. Uh, and uh, like when I say right after, like half an hour after. Uh, and the lady who interviewed me uh, to her misfortune, had been driving around uh, in that storm. I guess she was just coming back from wherever she had been. Uh, and so during the course of the interview, uh, I think I said, hi, my name is Tobias. Uh, and I might have asked one question about uh, job security or something to that effect. But apart from that, it was just an adrenaline-filled monologue from this poor lady who had uh, come in from this massive hailstone, uh, hailstorm, I should say. Uh, to give the, the lady a little bit of credit, uh, it's not necessarily that she was being foolish. I would grant that she was fueled by adrenaline, but you understand the point. There is this uh, massive proliferation of words that comes from the mouth of this individual. Whether or not an individual speaks uh, a lot or a little is perhaps picking at the fruits of these verses without properly assessing the root. Uh, if you were to uh, look to, to Titus chapter 2, uh, and I'm just going to summarize it so don't actually turn there. Uh, all ages and both genders are either explicitly or implicitly commanded to be self-controlled. Titus 2.2, 2, older men are to be, among other things, self-controlled. In verses 3 and 4, older women are to train the young women, among other things, to be self-controlled and so if older women are to train young women we can make the inference that older women themselves ought to be self-controlled and in verse 6 as I've uh, well, as I've thought about numerous times Paul writes Titus to likewise urge the younger men to be self-controlled reading those verses from Proverbs chapter 17 again whoever restrains his words has knowledge and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding and in James 1, 19 to 20, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Surely uh, being quick to hear and perhaps even more so slow to speak are examples uh, and good ones of self-control. Uh, the, the proper meat of, of the foundation of what's being spoken here in Proverbs is not so much whether we speak a lot or a little, but how self-controlled we are in the use of our speech uh, and in general. 
So with consideration to those verses, your knowledge, your understanding, your wisdom, your godliness will manifest it themselves in the ability to restrain your words, your speech, and to keep a cool spirit. Let me ask you an introspective question. Do you readily become hot-headed, abounding in words? The anger of man, reminds James, does not produce the righteousness of God. When the spouse, for example, intentionally or otherwise does something unkind to you, do you restrain your words and exhibit knowledge, or do you lose your cool spirit and demonstrate a lack of understanding? Likewise with the, the demanding boss or the rude co-worker, the person who cuts you off in traffic, or to the, the little boys and girls here today, the, the brother, the sister, the fellow child who steals your toy or your book. When such a situation occurs, do you abound in words or are you able to restrain your tongue? Even, an even further challenge, would you be defined in such moments as cool, calm and collected? As an additional challenge, uh, keep in mind that to restrain words implies that there is some temptation not to. It's not necessarily that in any given scenario, perhaps as those noted, uh, you have no temptation to lose your cool. Rather, than to, the temptation is oftentimes there, but you are able to be self-controlled and to restrain your words in spite of the temptation. It is one thing to face a difficult situation and have no temptation to sin. It is another thing to be in the situation, to have the temptation to sin and choose not to, despite the temptation. But once the words are said, once the cool is lost, at risk of stating the obvious, they cannot be unsaid or unlost. And so, to be self-controlled and slow to speech uh, is better in the first place. Uh, so what do we do about such a conundrum? Uh, during the week, um, during the course of my, uh, my career at my current workplace, I have had to do what I would consider uh, undue amounts of training on emotional intelligence uh, to the point where when the words come up, I, I roll my eyes. Uh, and I've done some more training this, this week just gone. Uh, and it's not all bad, I suppose, but uh, some of the notions that they talk about um, are the ability to be, in a sense, self-controlled in any given situation. Uh, and it's not so, as I say, the, the training itself, what they're trying to get across is not so, not so bad as it were, but uh, the lack of acknowledgement and presupposition of God and his authority uh, and the repetitious nature of it is perhaps what gets to me. It's a little like uh, drinking a cup of flavored air instead of a delightfully refreshing and substantive drink. So what do we do? We take every thought captive to Christ, as Paul exhorts the Corinthians in his second letter. We look at the fruits of the Spirit, which are ours in Christ. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh, with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit, Paul writes to the Galatians. And so if you are in Christ, these characteristics will be increasingly more prevalent in you. 
The flesh is dead. It has been crucified with Christ, as Paul writes elsewhere. The flesh is dead and having been crucified with Christ, rather live actively in the spirit. Uh, I forget which exact video it is, but uh, Jared Longshore in one of his videos on Canon Plus uh, almost speaks. Uh, it sounds perhaps a little uh, lighthearted, but the way he addresses it is very good. Uh, he talks about uh, praying prior, prior to and after any given situation uh, almost as a kind of uh, magic. And what he's really getting at is not so much that God is this genie in the sky who's willing to grant all of your wishes, uh, but rather that we tend to, because we are physical beings, we tend to constrain ourselves to what is physical, uh, what we can see, what we can make a difference to with our own hands. And so when it comes to, for example, the gifts of the Spirit um, that we've just read through, or rather the, uh, the fruits of the Spirit, uh, we ought to pray that we would have these things. Not just knuckle down in any given situation, but pray that God would make these things ours in greater measure. He who began a good work in you, uh, even as we contemplated it again this morning, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And so pray that the Lord would breed self-control within you and practice holding your tongue when in situations where to fly off the handle is a little more tempting. Second point, uh, and turn back just a page or so uh, to Proverbs 15. The second point, use speech thoughtfully. And when I say thoughtfully, I want to uh, just define my term. I'm not saying thoughtfully in the, uh, the Roman candle, Hollywood, hot pink sense of the word. Uh, you know, oh, how, isn't that thoughtful? Something like that. Uh, but rather, uh, you could further clarify my meaning as uh, well-chosen, gracious, a soft answer, not rash, that kind of thoughtful. So Proverbs 15, verses 1 and 2. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouths of fools pour out folly. And Proverbs 16, 24 says, gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. And so continuing on from the last point in discussing uh, self-control and not losing one's cool, Proverbs 15.1 is useful. Uh, because it, even as I've already said, uh, it's not necessarily that we are to be silent in moments of high emotional temperature. Uh, but perhaps it is that the moment demands a godly and soft answer rather than a harsh word. If blessed are the peacemakers, if it is these who should be called the sons of God, as Jesus speaks in Matthew 5, then it may well be the case that we are called to utilize peacemaking speech in a moment warranting the same. Uh, for example, the, the speech and the attitude that God has helped uh, me to take in dealing with a particularly difficult client at work uh, has made a, a large difference in the nature of at least some subsequent conversations and certainly in the relationship more generally. And of course, uh, the use of speech in tense moments is only uh, one application of using speech thoughtfully, uh, as the subsequent verse would suggest. Verse 2. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouths of fools pours out folly. 
the tongue of the wise uses knowledge well, uses knowledge aright, shows knowledge to be good. It makes knowledge appealing or to put some Trump terms on it, it makes knowledge great again. The one who is wise will, in a variety of situations, use words in such a way as makes knowledge beautiful, commendable, and desirable. And chapter 16, 24 adds in like fashion that gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Just whilst we're on that one, the, the word used for, for gracious in that verse is, is really quite a significant standard of beauty uh, or of pleasantness or of graciousness. Um, in, uh, in fact, the same word is used in describing uh, Yahweh's beauty in Psalm 27 verse 4, uh, which of course we meditated upon on Wednesday. Um, that verse says, One thing have I asked of Yahweh, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of Yahweh all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty, same word, of Yahweh, and to inquire in his temple. And so to be, uh, so rather, let me exhort us to be thoughtful, intentional, and not rash in the ways that we use speech. Give a soft answer to turn away wrath where that is needed. Use words in such a way as will exalt knowledge and use words of graciousness, beauty, pleasantness, and they will be like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. So to finally conclude, uh, let us not necessarily be a people of no words, but rather a people of choice words. Those who use our speech sparingly, graciously and beautifully, and in so doing, adorn and commend godly knowledge to those who will hear us. By way of metaphor, and I hope it doesn't uh, ruin the point, but it worked in my mind. Uh, if we are to consider uh, a butcher, we want a butcher who will use his sharp, sharp knife skillfully with precision and sparingly. We don't, on the other hand, want a butcher who swings around his blunt meat cleaver with uh, a lot of carelessness and arrives with what could at best be called mincemeat on the ground around him. And so, speak, sharpen your tongue, informing it with godliness. In general, use it sparingly and use it well, just like the, uh, the skilled butcher with his knife.